July 20th, 1969. The voice of astronaut Neil Armstrong. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And astronaut Edwin Aldrin. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever, wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. And in orbit around the moon, awaiting a rendezvous with Armstrong and Aldrin, and a triumphant 240,000-mile return trip to Earth, Michael Collins. Roger, Tranquility Base. It sure sounded great uh, from up here. You guys did a fantastic job. Shortly before liftoff, the three pilots are hosts at a Cape Kennedy press conference. Again, the voice of the mission commander, Armstrong. After a decade of planning and hard work, we're willing and ready to attempt to achieve our national goal. This is possible because very many Americans across the nation have dedicated themselves to quality craftsmanship and ingenuity. We're dependent, too, on the successes of the previous flights. The unmanned flights and the manned flights, Apollos 7, 8, 9, and 10, whose crews have done a magnificent job of preparing the way for us. I'm sure this American ingenuity and American craftsmanship has given us the best equipment that can be made available. And we're very happy to be ready to fly. I guess we are, we're ready for your questions. Uh, do you harbor any fear, or, would, or how would you describe your attitude just before flight? I wouldn't uh, say, uh, Walter, that fear is an unknown emotion to us. Uh, uh, fear is, uh, is uh, characteristic uh, particularly of, uh, of uh, a knowledge that there may be uh, something uh, that you haven't thought of and feel that you uh, would might be unable to cope with. Uh, I think our, our, our training and, and all, the, all the work that goes into the preparation for flight uh, does uh, everything it can toward erasing those kinds of possibilities. And uh, I, I would say that uh, as a crew, uh, we, uh, we, among the three of us, really have uh, no fear of launching out on this expedition. Next question from Mr. Everett Clark of Newsweek magazine. I'd like to ask Michael Collins, the forgotten man of Apollo 11, if he could tell us exactly what he thinks, what he expects to be doing up in that command module at the time that uh, Neil Armstrong steps out on the lunar surface. Well, primarily just tending the store, Mr. Clark. Uh, as you may realize, the command module is a very complex vehicle, and uh, just to do nothing inside it requires a, a good deal of switch throwing and a certain amount of attention. So. I expect to uh, be keeping the command module ready for Neil and Buzz's return the next day, and I'll be uh, quite busy doing that. Uh, Colonel Aldrin, uh, would you be satisfied if you just achieved a successful landing and takeoff, but uh, for some reason could not step out on the lunar surface and
collect the first uh, samples of the moon rock. Well, I, I think it's been uh, fairly clearly stated that, uh, that we're going to feel that uh, we've accomplished a successful mission if we land men on the moon and return them safely. And I believe that uh, is the primary mission, uh, as stated. We would like to add as much as we possibly can to this uh, for the return from this flight and also to maximize the uh, benefits that uh, will be able to be obtained from uh, uh, previous or the uh, succeeding flights. We'd like to uh, solve as many of their problems ahead of time and give them as much advice uh, on how to uh, get more return for our uh, lunar flights. Three men, Armstrong, Aldrin, Collins. They made the Apollo 11 mission the most spectacularly successful of all the daring and courageous exploratory voyages in the history of mankind. An achievement that starts a glorious new era revolving around man's knowledge of outer space. But let's go back for a moment to that bright, humid summer morning in Florida when three eager, superbly trained Americans calmly awaited the checking out of hundreds of critical, last-minute details during the careful 28-hour countdown from launch pad 39A at Cape Kennedy. ...landing two astronauts on the moon. At this time, the spacecraft test conductor, Skip Chauvin, going through some checks with astronaut Mike Collins aboard the spacecraft. This is Apollo Saturn launch control. We've just passed the 31-minute mark in our count, with T-minus 30 minutes, 52 seconds and counting, aiming toward our planned liftoff time of 32 minutes past the hour, the start of our launch window on this, the mission to land men on the moon. The countdown is still proceeding very satisfactorily at this time. We've just got by an important test with the launch vehicle, checking out the various batteries in the three stages and instrument unit of the Saturn V. We remain on external power through most of the count to the Apollo Saturn launch control. We've just passed the 26-minute mark in the count. T-minus 25 minutes, 53 seconds and counting. Still proceeding very satisfactorily. At this time, uh, spacecraft test conductor Skip Chauvin working with astronaut Buzz Aldrin in the middle seat, uh, covering the final pressurization of the reaction control system for the spacecraft. These are those uh, big seconds and counting. We passed T minus 60. 55 seconds and counting. Neil Armstrong just reported back. It's been a real smooth countdown. We passed the 50-second mark. Power transfer is complete. We're on internal power with the launch vehicle at this time. 40 seconds away from the Apollo 11 liftoff. All the second stage tanks now pressurized. 35 seconds and counting. We are still go with Apollo 11. 30 seconds and counting. Astronauts report it feels good. T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence starts. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. We've got a roll program. Neil Armstrong reporting the roll and pitch program, which puts Apollo 11 on proper heading. Plus 30 seconds. Roll's complete and the pitch is programming. 
there's a abort control mode. Altitude's two miles. Oh, 11 Houston, you're good at one minute. Downrange one mile, altitude three, four miles now. Velocity 2,195 feet per second. We're through the region of maximum dynamic pressure now. Set eight miles downrange, 12 miles high. Velocity 4,000 feet per second. Now it's strictly business Stand as the Earth drops away. Flight directors and technicians at the Mission Control Center in Houston take over, skillfully coordinating a network of 17 ground stations, four instrumented ships, and six to eight instrumented aircraft to track a spacecraft's position and effect vital television, telemetry, and communication services. All this is instantly relayed to Apollo 11. As the Earth revolves from west to east, one of the 17 ground stations hands over control to the next station as it moves into view of the spacecraft. In this way, continuous data and communication flow is maintained from Earth to outer space. This is Apollo control at 9 hours 13 minutes into the flight of Apollo 11. Uh, based on biomedical data, uh, a flight surgeon reports that it appears the crew removed their uh, pressure garments, their pressure suits, at uh, about 8 p.m. for the commander, uh, Neil Armstrong, and uh, command module pilot, Mike Collins. Uh, lunar module pilot, Buzz Aldrin, uh, apparently got out of his pressure suit about one hour earlier, or about uh, seven hours ground elapsed time. The spacecraft is currently 44,529 nautical miles from Earth and the velocity has dropped now to 8,983 feet per second. Houston radios news from Earth to the astronauts. It's now some 68,000 miles out in space, 23 hours after liftoff. Hi, 11, this is Houston. If you're interested in the morning news, I've got a summary here from PAO, over. Okay, we're all listening. Washington, UPI, Vice President Maro T. Agnew, has called for putting a man on Mars by the year 2000. But Democratic leaders replied that priority must go to needs on Earth. Agnew, ranking government official at the Apollo 11 blast off Wednesday, apparently was speaking for himself and not necessarily the Nixon administration when he said, we should, in my judgment, put a man on Mars by the end of this century. London AP. Europe is moonstruck by the Apollo 11 mission. Newspapers throughout the continent fill their pages with pictures of the Saturn V rocket blasting off to forge Earth's first link with its natural satellite. And headline writers tax their imaginations for words to hail the feet. The, quote, the greatest adventure in the history of humanity has started, declared the French newspaper Le Figaro, which devoted four pages to reports from Cape Kennedy and diagrams of the mission. The tabloid Paris Jour proclaimed the whole world tells them, bravo, Hempstead, New York. Joe Namath officially reported to the New York Jets training camp at Hofstra University Wednesday, following a closed-door meeting with his teammates over his differences with pro football commissioner Peter Roselli. Over. Roger, thank you, Bruce.
Apollo 11 moves toward the moon, all systems functioning perfectly. How different, how so infinitely more advanced than America's first manned spaceflight back in May of 1961, when Alan B. Shepard flew a 15 minute and 22 second Mercury Redstone mission that never even pushed him into orbit. It was almost a year later, in February of 1962, that John Glenn achieved three Earth orbits in an unforgettable Mercury Atlas flight that lasted almost five hours. And then came the Gemini series in 1965. And in October of 1968, the winning Apollo program. Let's listen. That's Jim Lovell, the commander of the backup Apollo 11 crew, communicating with Apollo 11 at the present time. Hey, Jim, I'm... Uh This is Apollo 11, far from Earth, and slowly turning in space to cool itself. Three long days of drifting toward the lunar sphere of influence, where the gravitational pull of the moon becomes stronger than that of Earth, being pulled to the point of decision, decision to go into lunar orbit. We're three minutes away from loss of signal. Apollo 11 is 425 nautical miles from the moon, velocity 7,368 feet per second, weight 96,012 pounds. That's two minutes to LOS. Apollo 11, this is Houston. All your systems are looking good going around the corner. We'll see you on the other side, over. Right. Everything looks okay up here. And we've had loss of signal as Apollo 11 goes behind the moon. We were showing a distance to the moon of 309 nautical miles at LOS, velocity 7,664 feet per second. Weight uh, was 96,012 pounds. We're seven minutes, 45 seconds away from the LOI number one burn, which will take place behind the moon, out of communications. Here in the control center, uh, Two members of the backup crew, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell. Lunar orbit, a quiet crew, checking systems, 
entering the spacecraft called Eagle for the first time, showing the lunar lander to the planet Earth for the first time on television. Stand by. Undock. Prepare to descend to low altitude. This is Apollo Control. We've had loss of signal now. Uh, the spacecraft Eagle has been given a go for descent orbit insertion. Uh, when next we acquire the lunar module, it should be at an altitude of about 18 nautical miles on its way down to the low point of about 50,000 feet from where the powered descent to the lunar surface will begin. As the spacecraft went around the corner, all systems on both vehicles... Every system good. on the Eagle functioning perfectly uh, go from the ground to begin to land. And now the Apollo 11 crew, although criticized by the press for saying so little during their mission, are busy making history. Powered descent toward another heavenly body begins. Altitude 40,000. And Eagle Houston, we got data dropouts. You're still looking good. Okay, we got good lock on. Uh, altitude lights out. Okay. LH is minus 2,900. Roger, we copy. At the Earth, right out our front window. Houston, you're looking at our Delta H. Uh, that's affirmative. Program alarm. Looking good to us, over. Altitude now 21,000 feet, still looking very good. Velocity down now to 1,200 feet per second. You're looking great to us, Eagle. Descent rate 129 feet per second. We copy. Eagle, you're looking great. Coming up nine minutes. We're now in the approach phase, everything looking good. Altitude 5,200 feet. We're go, same type, we're go. 2,000 feet, 2,000 feet, into the ag, 47 degrees. Roger. 47 degrees. Eagle looking great, you're go. Altitude 1,600. 1,400 feet, still looking very good. Roger, 1202, we copy it. 35 degrees, 35 degrees, 750, coming down to 23. 700 feet, 21 down, 33 degrees. 100 feet down to 19. 540 feet down to 30, down to 15. One and a half down, 70, 19 forward. Altitude, velocity, light. Three and a half down, 220 feet. 13 forward. 11 forward, coming down nicely, 200 feet. Four and a half down, 5%. 185. 75 feet, guys looking good, down a half. Six forward. 60 seconds. Lights on. Six. Down two and a half. Forward, forward, picking up some dust. 30 feet, two and a half down, straight shadow. Four forward, four forward, drifting to the right a little. Contact light. Okay, engine stop, APA at a descent. Boat control, both auto, descent engine command override off. Engine arm off, 413 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. 
Roger, twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, we're going to be busy for a minute. Roger, Eagle, and you are safe. Roger, we rigged you five by Columbia. He has landed Tranquility Base. Eagle is at Tranquility. Over. Yeah, I heard the whole thing. Well, good show. The eagle is home, at rest on the hostile environment for which it was created, and quickly named Tranquility Base. But now we learn that the landing was not automatic, that on final approach the commander, Neil Armstrong, was in control. Houston, uh, that may have seemed like a very long final phase. Uh, the auto-targeting was taking us right into a football field-sized crater uh, with a large number of uh, big boulders and rocks. Uh, for about a, one or two crater diameters around it. And it required flying manually over the rock field uh, to find a reasonably good area. After landing, just 49 seconds of fuel remain. Now, we'll get to the details of, uh, of what's around here, but it looks like a collection of just about every variety of uh, shape, angularity, granularity, but every variety of rock you could uh, find. The color is, uh, well, it varies pretty much depending on uh, how you're looking relative to the uh, zero phase point. Uh, there doesn't appear to be too much of a general color at all. However, it looks as though some of the uh, rocks and boulders, of which there are quite a few in the uh, near area, uh, looks as though they're gonna have uh, some interesting colors to them over. Tranquility, uh, be advised there are lots of smiling faces in this room and all over the world. Over. Well, there are two of them up here. Roger, it was a beautiful job, you guys. And don't forget one in the command module. That last remark from Mike Collins at an altitude of 60 miles. Uh, the comments on the landing on the manual takeover came from Neil Armstrong. Uh, Buzz Aldrin followed that with a description of the lunar surface and uh, the rocks and boulders that they are able to see out the window of the LEM. I just got it, I think. Roger, Columbia, this is Houston. Uh, say something, they ought to be able to hear you, over. Roger, uh, Tranquility Base, it sure sounded great uh, from up here. You guys did a fantastic job. Thank you. Just keep that uh, orbiting base ready for us up there now. Again, a time of quiet, a precision check and recheck to ensure that Tranquility Base can provide life support to two men for at least 21 hours on an alien surface. Now it is time to explore Tranquility Base, to step on the moon. And even at this awesome moment, at this awesome place, there is totally human touch as Buzz Aldrin helps Neil out the door into another world. Okay, now you're clear. Lined up on the platform. Move your left foot uh, to the right a little bit. Okay, that's good. Full left. Good. Okay, now I'm going to check the uh, bath here. Okay, you're not quite squared away. Hold to the Okay, that's good. 
Got plenty of room to your left. It's a little close on the... Uh, how am I doing? You're doing fine. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. Okay, I just checked uh, getting back up to that first step. Uh, it's... Uh, it hasn't collapsed too far, but uh, it's adequate to get back up. Roger, we copy you. Pretty good little jump. I'm uh, at the foot of the ladder. The lamb footbeds are only uh, uh, depressed in the surface about uh, one or two inches, although the surface appears to be uh, very, very fine-grained as you get close to it. It's almost like a powder. Ground mass uh, is very fine. Yeah, I'm going to step off the lamb now. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Yes, the uh, surface is fine and powdery. I can I can pick it up loosely with my toe. It does adhere to, in fine layers, uh, like uh, powdered charcoal, to the uh, to the inside of my boot. I only go in a small fraction of an inch, maybe an eighth of an inch, but I can see the footprints of my uh, boots and the treads in the fine sandy particles. Neil, this is Houston. We're copying. All right, that looks beautiful for me, It has a stark beauty all its own. It's uh, like much of the high desert of uh, the United States. It's uh, different, but it's very pretty out here. We advise that uh, a lot of the uh, rock samples out here, the hard rock samples, have what appear to be vesicles in the surface. Also, I'm looking at one now that appears to have some sort of phenocris. Okay, ready for me to come out? Yeah, just stand by a second. I'll move this over the handrail. Okay. All right, that's got it. Are you ready? All set. Okay, you saw what difficulties I was having. I'll try to watch your pliss uh, from underneath here. Now I want to uh, back up and partially close the handrail. Making sure not to lock it on my way out. Particularly <laughs> good thought. That's our home for the next couple hours. We want to take good care of it. Okay, I'm on the top step, and I can look down over the RCU and landing gear pad. It's a very simple matter to hop down from one step to the next. Yes, I found it to be very comfortable, and uh, and walking is also very comfortable. You that you're on. You've got three more steps, and then a long one. Okay, I'm gonna leave that one foot up there, and uh, both hands down about the fourth rung up. There you go. There you got it. That's a good step. Yep. Got a three-footer. 
constant desolation. A pause as both men move on camera. Uh, Neil and Buzz, uh, the President of the United States is in his office now and would like to say a few words to you, over. That would be an honor. Uh, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Houston out. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made. I just can't tell you how proud we all are of what you For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. And for people all over the world, I am sure they too join with Americans in recognizing what an immense feat this is. Because of what you have done, the heavens have become a part of man's world. And as you talk to us from the sea of tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this Earth are truly one. One in their pride in what you have done and one in our prayers that you will return safely to Earth. Thank you, Mr. President. It's a great honor and privilege for us to be here representing not only the United States, but and of peace of all nations and with interest and a curiosity and, and with a vision for the future. Uh, honor for us to be able to participate here today. And thank you very much, and I look forward, all of us look forward to seeing you on the Hornet on Thursday. A quick salute from another world, and then back to work. Neil Armstrong. Watch it, Neil. Neil, you're on the cable. Okay. Yeah, lift up your right foot. Right foot. Uh, it's still, your toe is still hooked in it. That one? Yeah, it's still hooked in it. Come in. Okay, you're clear now. Thank you. Armstrong has the scoop for the bulk sample collection. The blue uh, color of my boots have uh, completely disappeared now into this. I don't know exactly what color to describe this other than bayish uh, cocoa color. Neil's been on the surface an hour now. Buzz, uh, not quite 20 minutes less than that. A quick check of the clock with Houston. Come out right now. Uh, Buzz, this is Houston. Uh, you've got about 10 minutes left now prior to commencing your EVA termination activities. Over. Doctor, I understand. You didn't get anything in those environmental samples, did you? Not yet. I don't think we'll have time. Roger, Neil, and Buzz. Uh, let's. Uh, press on with getting the close-up camera magazine and closing out of the sample return container. You're running a little low on time. Roger. We want to keep a good margin in those portable life support systems. Okay, can you quickly stick this in my pocket, Neil, and I'll yep. head on up the ladder. Okay. Adios, amigos. Hey. Anything more before I head on up, Bruce? Negative. Head on up the ladder, Buzz. Tranquility Base, with its little American colony of two, begins a rest period. 
and the discarding of unneeded items, lunar boots, life support backpacks, cameras. Columbia, Columbia, this is Houston, over. Roger, Columbia, I see Charlie, how do you read? Roger, Columbia, this is Houston, reading you loud and clear on Omni, Charlie. The crew of Tranquility Base is back inside their base, uh, repressurized, and they're in the process of doffing the uh, plosives. Everything went beautifully, over. Now the moment of truth. Armstrong and Aldrin die within 48 hours if the liftoff engine fails. There is no backup. There is no long countdown. Eagle's computer must work. On this memorable Monday, billions of people on Earth stop, watch, listen. Mike Collins in tiny Columbia prays for his comrades to return for the one quarter million mile trip home. Now or never, here it comes. That's your guidance steering in the egg. Master arm on. Guidance reports both navigation systems on Eagle are looking good. Whiskey blanks. Got that acid card. Yep. Nine, eight, seven, six, five. Port stage, engine arm ascent. Proceed. Shadow, yeah, beautiful. 26, 36 feet per second up. Second vertical rise. Eagle Houston, request manual start override. Roger. 2,600 feet altitude. 130 feet vertical rise rate. A little bit of uh, slow wallowing back and forth. Not very much thruster activity. Roger, mighty fine. 700, 150 up, beautiful. 9,000. That band looks like it's holding good. Houston. You go, Houston. Uh, your go at three minutes. Everything's looking good. I'm going right down US 1. Heights now approaching 32,000 feet. Some 120 miles to go until insertion. See, there's Ritter off there. And there it is, right there. There's Schmidt. And that's impressive looking at it. Columbia and Eagle search for each other high above the tortured lunar surface. They must succeed, for Columbia alone can return to Earth. This is Apollo Control. 127 hours, 50 minutes, ground elapsed time. Less than a minute now away from acquisition from the spacecraft Columbia. Hopefully, flying within a few feet of it will be Eagle. Docking uh, should take place about 10 minutes from now, according to the flight plan. However, this is a crew option matter. We're standing by for word that uh, data is coming in from the two spacecraft. This is lunar revolution number 27 for Columbia. I have LEM AOS. Okay, Mike. Uh I'll get, uh, try to get in position here, and then you got it. How did the roll attitude look? I'm pumping up cabin pressure. That was a funny one, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't feel a touch, and uh, 
16 minutes. We reacquired Apollo 11 about 25 minutes ago at uh, 129.51. At that time, Mike Collins reported that all three crewmen were in the command module. The transfer occurring uh, while the spacecraft were on the back side of the moon. Houston, this is Columbia Radio Loud and Clear. We're all three back inside. The hatch is installed. We're running a pressure integrity check. Everything's going well. Roger, Eagle. Uh, correction, Roger, Columbia. We copy. More newscasts from Houston to Apollo 11. Starting off, congratulatory messages on the Apollo 11 mission have been pouring into the White House from world leaders in a steady stream all day. Among the latest uh, are telegrams from Prime Minister Harold Wilson of Great Britain and the King of Belgium. The world's press has been dominated by news of Apollo 11. Some newsmen estimate that more than 60% of the news used in papers across the country today concern your mission. The New York Times has had a, such a demand for its edition of the paper today, even though it ran 950,000 copies, that it will reprint the whole thing on Thursday as a souvenir edition. And uh, Premier Alexei Kosygin has sent congratulations to you and President Nixon through former Vice President Humphrey, who is visiting Russia. The cosmonauts have also issued a statement of congratulations. Humphrey quoted Kosygin as saying, I want you to tell the president and the American people that the Soviet Union desires to work with the United States in the cause of peace. People around the world have had, had, had many reasons to be happy about the Apollo 11 mission. The Italian police reported that Sunday night was the most crime-free night of the year. And in London, a boy who had the fate to bet $5 with a bookie that a man would reach the moon before 1970 collected $24,000. Pretty good odds. In other news, and there was a little bit, uh, another explorer, Thor Heyerdahl, had to give up his attempt to sail a papyrus boat across the Atlantic. The storm-damaged boat was abandoned about 650 miles from Bermuda. And the speed of the craft had been reduced to about 25 miles a day. And Heyerdahl said the object of the voyage is not meant to provide an endurance test for the crew. Uh, looking at the world of sports, the West Division of the National League remains a tight race. L.A. and San Francisco are, are one game behind league-leading Atlanta. And the Astros 
have a record of 48 wins and 48 losses, and are now in fifth place, seven games out. The Chicago Cubs are still in first place in the East Division. They led the New York Mets by four and a half games. And in the American League, Baltimore is breezing toward the Eastern Division title. And that about covers the news uh, this day. You guys have been making most of it, and I'm sure we couldn't fill you in on any of the details that you don't already know. Out. Earth becomes larger as Columbia comes home. This is Apollo Control at 148 hours, 21 minutes. At the time, the spacecraft uh, crossed from the moon's sphere of influence uh, to the Earth's sphere of influence, that point at which the Earth uh, is computed as having the uh, dominant influence on the spacecraft trajectory. Uh, Apollo 11 was about 33,800 nautical miles from the moon and about 100 uh, 74,000 nautical miles from Earth. At the present time, uh, the spacecraft is traveling at a speed of 3,994 feet per second with respect to the Earth. Coming home, the only music broadcast from space through the eight days and nights was an old Les Baxter Capitol album. As Apollo 11 comes home, a final television show. This is Mike Collins speaking. Roger, this trip of ours to the moon may have looked to you simple or easy. I'd like to assure you that that has not been the case. The Saturn V rocket, which put us into orbit, is an incredibly complicated piece of machinery, every piece of which works flawlessly. This computer up above my head has a 38,000-word vocabulary, each word of which has been very carefully chosen to be of the utmost value to us, the crew. This switch, which I have in my hand now, has over 300 counterparts in the command module alone, this one single switch design. In addition to that, there are a myriad of circuit breakers, levers, rods, and other associated controls. The SPS engine, our large rocket engine, on the aft end of our service module, must have performed flawlessly or we would have been stranded in lunar orbit. The parachutes up above my head must work perfectly tomorrow or we will plummet into the ocean. We have always had confidence that all this equipment will work and work properly, and we continue to have confidence that it will do so for the remainder of the flight. All this is possible only through the blood, sweat, and tears of a number of people. First, the American workmen who put these pieces of machinery together at the factory. Second, the painstaking work done by the various test teams during the assembly and the retest after assembly. And finally, the people 
at the manned spacecraft center, both in management, in mission planning, in flight control, and last but not least, in crew training. This operation is somewhat like the periscope of a submarine. All you see is the three of us, but beneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. And to all those, I would like to say thank you very much. Armstrong talking. The responsibility for this flight lies first with, with history and with the giants of science who have preceded this effort. Next to the American people who have, through their will, indicated their desire. Next to four administrations and their congresses for implementing that will and then to the agency and industry team that built our spacecraft. The Saturn, the Columbia, the Eagle, and the little EMU, the spacesuit and backpack that was our small spacecraft out on the lunar surface. We'd like to give a special thanks to all those Americans who built those spacecraft, who did the construction, the design, the test, and put their heart and all their abilities in, into those crafts. To those people, tonight we give a special thank you. And to all the other people that are listening and watching tonight, God bless you. Good night from Apollo 11. Now the command module streaks for Earth. Rescue and Orion aircraft are reported on station, and the uh, Hornet's helicopters uh, containing the swimmers are reported airborne. Apollo 11 reports right on. We take that to mean that the drogues deployed on time. 169, 15. Apollo 11 should be on main chutes now. Hornet reports a sonic boom a short time ago. Apollo 11, Apollo 11, this is Hornet, Hornet, over. Hello, Hornet, this is Apollo 11, reading the Latin chorus. Our position 1330, 11, Hornet, copy. Hornet has voice contact. Aircraft reports visual with three full shoots. That was Mike Collins reporting the crew was excellent. The elevator will take recovery one down to the hangar deck and where the crew uh, will enter the mobile quarantine facility. And the flags are waving and the cigars are being lit up. And clear across the big board in front is President John F. Kennedy's uh, message to Congress of May 1961. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. That has been accomplished. Just at dawn on the morning of July 24th, the officers and men of the USS Hornet recovered the crew and Apollo 11. The re-entry and the recovery by the book. But the ending of Apollo 11 asked a question, a question of all mankind, one perhaps best answered 
by NASA Administrator Thomas Paine only moments after man first set foot on the moon. As we look at the things that we have in the drawing boards, as we look at the dreams of the engineers for the future, it seems very clear to me that there are two basic factors that have to be answered. The first is whether or not we can attain the kind of costs and the kind of reliability in space flight that we now have in air travel. And I'm quite convinced that we can. And the second question is if we can indeed travel in a practical way to the moon and eventually beyond, will men indeed wish to do so? And will they wish to found uh, small first research stations and perhaps eventually permanent colonies? And it seems to me that the history of mankind is that uh, they certainly will. So I would say uh, yes, I think we have entered a new era. I think that the significance of the trip that has just started uh, today is indeed that mankind is going to establish uh, places of abode outside of, of his home planet, the Earth.